Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Dr. Mike Walden. Before we get back to talking about uh, North Carolina state government and how the government will fare next year economically, I'd like to talk about Mike's uh, other uh, books that he is writing and, and has written. And, of course, not only has he written some uh, uh, books on the, the economy, but also dabbling in a uh, little fiction. So tell us what you're writing these days. <laughs> well, some people you. would say some of your books on the economy are fiction. <laughs> That's right. Actually, the, the uh, we, we did, actually, Mary and I did three books. Um, uh, they were what we called economic thrillers. People will laugh at that. But I wrote them primarily to help students learn economics in an entertaining way. And, and many students who said they loved them. Um, we're actually working on, even though I'm not teaching anymore, we're actually um, starting I'm starting to think about a fourth edition of that series because we have a main character that follows through all of them. Um, I do have, uh, you mentioned, you kindly mentioned the title of my most recent books on how the post-pandemic economy may impact families. So that that is out. I did a book in 2000 uh, that looked at all the major economic issues in the country and, and uh, analyzed them, gave my take on solutions. It's called Real Solutions. And my next uh, uh, nonfiction book that I'm working on is, is kind of go back to where I started, where I did personal finance. It's a, uh, a book uh, that I've got to actually have a rough draft on that hopes to teach some key personal finance uh, techniques in a very understandable way. It's not going to be a long book, be a short book. People can pick it up, read it in, in an evening and, and be equipped to make some key personal finance decisions for them. It'll be accompanied by some free computer programs to allow them to, to work out some of the math. So that's that's the next venture in that area. Do you have a working title for that book? Uh, something like uh, uh, Learning Investing in thirty in 60 Minutes, something along those lines. I want to yeah. emphasize that it's not going to take you months to read it. <laughs> something well, like you know, they, something like the 60 minute investment guide i think that's what i've got on the working working title <laughs> well that uh, sounds like a fascinating book and one i think it would be very popular so where if someone wants to see a list of your books or buy them where would they uh, where would they go well like anything amazon uh, is the is the big place to go i have an author page there so you just all you need to do is go to amazon type in my name and you should go to my author page and you'll see all my actually 13 books with the latest one so that means i have to write a 14th one uh but all my books listed there always already all, all the way going back to i think the early 80s when i wrote my first book which was a textbook probably no one wants to to buy that one but uh, that has uh, amazon the amazon author page for me has all the michael l walden Let's uh, turn down to uh, your forecast for the state of North Carolina. Uh, our state government finances have been in great shape for the last several years. What do you, uh, uh, as we go into this period of uh, an uncertain economy with the word recession and inflation there, how is North Carolina positioned to uh, handle this from a point of view of the North Carolina state government? I think very well. I think our, our uh, leadership uh, and state government uh, was very aware of the possibility for a recession to hit. Um, I had I had um, short conversations with one of the, one of our leaders, and and um, um, he was uh, very very concerned about where 
it's nothing to do with North Carolina per se. I mean, if, if we, we don't cause recessions. It's because we're part of the national economy. So the bottom line there is North Carolina has a sizable in the billions of dollars of reserves. So hopefully if we have a recession, especially if it's mild, but even if it wasn't mild, I think the, the state has enough money to keep state workers on, which is always a concern. I can remember recessions of past times where there's even discussion at the university level of maybe people being laid off. And I think there were some layoffs at the university level. Uh, but I think North Carolina now is, is really in a great position with a uh, sizable savings account, if you will, in the in the billions that I think we can handle um, uh, anything that gets thrown at us in, in 2023 in terms of keeping state employees paid and keeping state and state services going. Uh, let's turn to the election results, which uh, came out a little different than most people had anticipated. Most people thought there was going to be a strong movement away from uh, the Democratic control. That did not happen. Uh, we, uh, the Republicans will take control of the House, but by a very slim uh, lead. Uh, and there's there are those who think that they can't even control those. Uh, how will that affect the economic situation? Uh, and uh, what is your forecast as far as what might happen on the federal uh, government level? Is again considering the economy and the words R and I. Um, well, the the I is pretty much in the hands of the Federal Reserve. Uh, I mean, if if the um, the federal government was going to do anything would be on uh, and they should have and if they were they would we would have wanted to be doing this all along is to work on the supply side make sure that uh, they're doing what they can to keep the supply chain going i mean that's one of the concerns now with the possibility of a rail strike of course big debates over energy many people have said even if you want to go to a renewable future we should have not gone as fast and and put as many impediments on fossil fuel development especially in the last several years when we've had these supply chain problems but but most of the action in terms of dealing with inflation is going to be in the federal reserve and they are an independent body the president doesn't have direct control over them so they're going to be working out there uh in, in terms of what they decide um in terms of moving ahead i think and this is uh my reading of, of, of politics is whenever you have divided government, which we're going to have over the next two years, it is one chamber, the House and Republican hands, Senate. Well, we'll see. Well, I guess it's still going to be, even regardless of what happens in Georgia, Democrats will control with the help of the vice president. And then obviously President Biden being a Democrat, we're going to have a divided government. And usually that means nothing big is going to happen. You're, you're going to have uh, some gridlock there. Um, because you didn't, for many things, you're going to need both chambers. And, and even if you got both chambers, uh, the president there has a veto pen, you need two thirds of a ride. So that's not likely. So my guess is that we're going to have a situation in the coming year, coming two years where you get a lot of proposals, a lot of talk from Republicans, a lot of proposals, a lot of talk from Democrats, including the president, but probably not much resolution. I, I wish, I wish I didn't think that way, but I think that's, that's the way it's going to happen now. Maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe there'll be a, a massive uh, new way of looking at things and say, look, let's see if we can compromise, get some of these big problems dealt with. But my guess is the big legislative um, um, pa passages of legislation that we've seen over the last two years, that's probably done. Uh, the big One of the big impending questions, Don, of course, is we've got uh, a budget running out. Uh, we've got to get some bills passed to keep the federal government going. That's uh, staring them right in the face. 
things like the military budget has to be approved, et cetera. So they're, they're big, big decisions that hopefully our decision makers know are so, so, so important that they'll be able to get some agreement upon. Well, there are a lot of people that think gridlock is not all that bad because it does force, in many cases, a little bit more uh, compromise on both sides. And sometimes compromise works best. Uh, and uh, we'll just have to see how that works out. But uh, there are a lot and, of yeah, that, and, uh, don't and mind gridlock. And you're and you're, you're you're right on that, Don. If you look at past four-year terms of presidents, oftentimes the president comes in uh, with uh, sort of a mandate, maybe has both houses. President Trump did that. Came in with both houses, both chambers with Republican control, and that's when a lot of stuff gets done. Then you have midterm election, and and uh, at least one of the chambers is lost, and then you don't have much action after that. So, so this is not unusual. Are you uh, concerned about where the federal debt is? Uh, do you think we can take on much more? I am concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm not concerned to the point where I think this is a crisis. Um, we we were we we were we were able to take on a lot of debt over to well actually I don't know, you can go back as far as you want at least in the 1990s because interest rates are so low and there's an argument that that's the time to take on debt when interest rates are low uh, unfortunately the debt many parts of that have to get recycled so that we're now seeing that the federal government is having to finance some of the debt at higher interest rates because interest rates have gone up. So the interest cost of the national debt is going to be a bigger part of the federal budget, which means that that crowds out doing other things. Um, my longtime advice on the national debt is we ought to take the federal budget and divide it into two pieces, a, a current budget and a capital budget where you limit borrowing to only for capital items, which are defined as things that are long lasting. That's what businesses do, Don. I'm sure you do that. But that's never and when state, and North Carolina state government does that. Prove North that. Carolina, yeah, most states do. North Carolina does that exactly. Uh, that's the way to go, and we can we can then debate all about well, how much do we want to put in the on the capital side? But at least we knew these were long lasting projects. Well, it's interesting. Uh, now uh, we always have to ask the question about the the uh, prospects of Social Security and the. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, how firm that uh, foundation is on the Social Security situation. I think the last time you said you you think this is a can that's going to be kicked down the road a little bit longer, but uh, uh, how much longer will that can uh, be be able to be kicked down? Well, we probably got another 10 years because I think the latest estimate from the Social Security Administration is they can keep paying what they promised until sometime in the early 2030s. Uh, yeah, and I think this is where you, you have to have, people have to understand politics. Um, Elected leaders don't want to do anything that could maybe tick people off and make some people mad if they can avoid it. And I think making change to Social Security is one of those things that could anger a lot of people. So I think the the path is usually wait until it gets in your face and you can't avoid a decision. That's what happened in the early 80s when we had the same kind of problem. Ronald Reagan appointed a commission headed by Alan Greenspan. They made the changes. They got approved. And that's carried us to where we are now. So my prediction is, Don, that nothing's going to be done until maybe 2030, 2031. Then we'll have a commission. We'll get some approval. And then we'll we'll go for another 30 years. And uh, I, we touched on this just briefly. You mentioned that gas prices have backed down a little, uh, have not backed down to the lowest levels that they have been in the last three or four years. Uh, what are you reading and hearing about what we might anticipate as far as gas prices, especially, say, for the next six months? 
the, the winter part of that, I think, will be good. Then when spring comes and driving increases, then we can have the potential for seeing a rise. And then there are seasonal effects there. So my advice to people, if you if you can work in some tri trips during the winter and safely, uh, go ahead and do it because that's when gas is going to be cheapest. Uh, we also have never talked too much about uh, the airline industry uh, with you because uh, travel has picked back up. And I noticed that the Raleigh-Durham Airport keeps announcing new flights. What are you forecasting as far as what we might see as far as uh, air transportation for individuals, both in business and in personal travel? Well, I think the problem there is, again, supply, uh, labor supply. I, I read that it's hard to get pilots. Uh, pilots had to sit out for, for COVID and they've got to go through a training period, et cetera. So I think that's going to be the limiting situation. I know many airlines have actually cut back on their total flights because they just can't service them. They can't get the pilots. They maybe can't get the, the assistance, et cetera. But I think in terms of demand, yeah, people want to fly. People are, are now anxious to fly. They don't see the big impediments. But the impediment is from the ability of the airlines to supply the number of prompt planes, the pilots, et cetera. That's the problem. Sometimes uh, when you have uh, periods of recession, the, the uh, travel and tourism in North Carolina actually picks up because people mm -hmm. take shorter trips. Right, you see right. that happening I do. That's what Mary and I have done. We've not been on a plane since COVID, and, but we've taken short trips. And, you know, it's been lovely to be able to see some places in North Carolina that maybe I've seen, but Mary's not seen. And uh, that's that's one of the big benefits of living in the state. It has so many attractions in, a, in an easy driving period from, say, uh, Raleigh. Uh, and so, again, North Carolina will fare better than most states as far as the uh, uh, possible recession. I think I think we will. We'll still see job loss if there is job loss, but I think we will feel uh, fear better because we've got businesses still wanting to be here. Businesses are less likely to shut down, et cetera. We're growing an economy, one of the fastest growing in, in the nation. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. He is the and I'm going to get it right this time. The professor, uh, the professor emeritus of economics at North Carolina State University. And uh, we will be back with one final segment. In that segment, we want to touch on the global economy because more and more our economy is tied to our friends abroad. We'll talk about that and uh, I'll sort of recap what we've talked about in the earlier session about uh, where recession and inflation may be going in the state of North Carolina, uh, especially for the next six months. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walker. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Goat 
G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest. He, of course, has been with us many, many times through the years. If you'd like to uh, go back to our archives and hear some of his earlier forecasts, you can do that because we have all of his broadcasts archived. And uh, I don't know how many there are. Jason needs to research that one time and tell me how many broadcasts we've had. But we have them all. And you can go back and see uh, how Dr. Mike Wallen's forecast actually panned out. And I can tell you, he's usually right on target, pretty much on target. And that's pretty good for an economic uh, theorist. Uh, anyway, uh, Mike, uh, thank you for being with us. We said right before the break we were going to touch a little bit more on the global situation because uh, more and more international trade is uh, very much a part of of uh, not only our economy but every economy across the country so what are you seeing as far as uh, your forecast for the next year globally well you asked um earlier don about the value of the dollar and it has been rising against other currencies and that is an indicator that international people look at the u.s economy and see an economy that's probably faring better and will fare better than than economies around the world. Indeed, if we look, for example, at Western Europe, they're looking at a very, very harsh winter because of the natural gas cutbacks from Russia. Uh, that's that's going to be very, very challenging for them. That's going to be very, very hurtful for them. Uh, we look at China now with the unrest. Uh, China is um, China is a country that actually faces some some even before this unrest some big challenges. One Don is in terms of population. They are they are actually targeted to depopulate and actually see their workforce fall at the same time as their elderly population increases. So China has some structural problems there, and you put on top of that the protests that we, they've been enduring over COVID lockdowns, and you have a questionable situation in in, in China. Of course, North Korea has been um, spouting off in terms of missiles. That that worries us. Uh, Southeast Asia has really come on, Don, as the uh, a new powerhouse uh, in the world economy, particularly Vietnam. We talked earlier about Vinfast, which is a Vietnamese uh, EV uh, producer that's coming to North Carolina big time in terms of a factory. Uh, Cambodia, um, um, uh, Thailand, et cetera, are all, uh, I forget the new name for Thailand, but, uh, are all coming on. India, um, India had some problems, structural problems in their economy. They were pretty, very heavy handed regarding government. They've sort of moved beyond that. So I think they are probably going to eclipse, well, I know they're going to eclipse China eventually in terms of population. They're probably going to eventually eclipse China in terms of their economy. So keep your eyes on on India. India, in terms of geopolitics, has played it very close to the best. They, they, they've tried to be friends with a lot of people. They've had some clashes, as people know, on the northern border with China. So India is a, increasingly a, a world player. But I think short term, although we certainly have challenges, don't want to minimize any of the challenges that our economy has and our society has in, in the U.S., but we look re- relatively good, very good, compared to some of the challenges in other parts of the world. Uh, you, uh, of course, we alluded earlier to the Ukraine war. We talked about uh, the challenges the uh, Russian government has. What do you see happening 
from the economic point of view in Russia, uh, assuming that the uh, oh. <clears throat> war ends sometime in the next six months, they've got a large, a long period of rebuilding. It would appear to me. They do, and they're not going to have any friends to do that with. I mean, I think I think clearly uh, Putin miscalculated, and this war is has supposedly not is devastating not only for his military uh, and his international reputation, but it's devastating for his economy. Uh, when you we think about all of the money that the Russians are using to to fight the war, uh, you think about the sanctions that are on the the uh, the Russian economy. And I think that's his Achilles heel. I think when when the economy continues to contract and life becomes difficult for Russians, I think there will be factions in Russia that will say that's enough. We're going to have to make a change in leadership. So I'll just reiterate what I said in one of the earlier segments. I would not be surprised in the next several months to see we wake up one morning and we see there's been a major change in the Russian leadership because that their economy is just uh, in, in shambles as a result of the decision that, that that Russia made. And, you know, long run, I mean, Russia, <laughs> Russia, what is what is some one economist said that Russia is a gas station that has nuclear weapons. I mean, <laughs> they have not gone much beyond uh, utilizing their natural resources, particularly their energy resources, in order to keep their economy afloat. Uh, but I think there's p- tremendous potential there with the people, smart people, well-educated people, that if Russia wanted to change its ways and integrate itself with the, the world economy and, and be a, a polite player in the world economy, they, the long run could be very positive for them. But short run, I think it's, it's very, very gloomy. We talked earlier about the continued growth population-wise, of especially the the uh, the Crescent, uh, Piedmont Crescent here in North Carolina and other select areas like Greenville, Wilmington, and Nashville growing. This also creates a problem because we're going to have to continue to build more infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have aging infrastructure in some of these uh, more depressed counties. Now that prices are going up, uh, how are we going to handle that? Uh, uh, we're going to have to build out to aid the growth and we're also going to have to build out to to recover some of the aging facilities in some of the poorer counties and yet the prices are going to go up how how will north carolina handle that well i I had some uh very close uh, work uh, done with others on this matter a couple years ago when i was appointed to a transportation commission that we spent two years looking at the outlook for finances for road transportation primarily in north carolina and we realized uh, very early on that our our needs were going to outstrip our resources so one of the things we did in in the final report and people could call uh, i forget the the name but the acronym was the first first commission you can you can download if you're uh, interested the, the report online but one of the things we talked about is alternative financing methods. And one of the things that I was actually fairly, this is my personal opinion, excited to see, is that the General Assembly has now changed the way that roads are financed. They're not going to tap uh, for a limited amount into general sales tax revenues and transfer those to the transportation fund. And uh, the other thing that has been talked about for a long time is whether we need to go away from the gas tax to something like a mileage fee. Now, that's a big leap, and I understand there's a lot of pushback on that. But I saw a recent survey that now said that the majority of people in North Carolina were now in favor of that. 
So that's something that we might see uh, coming around the road. But there's no question we need to look at what we need to do in transportation. There are different opinions there. There are people that say, no, we need to stop building as many roads. We need to focus on mass transportation. <clears throat> Excuse me, Raleigh is moving in that direction. And we also need to look at how we're going to finance those projects. We have talked from time to time about the uh, situations in the uh, uh, sections of North Carolina that are not seeing growth. Broadband, of course, very important for those sections. Where where do we stand now on broadband expansion? Well, we, we are expanding. And in fact, I think there has been success in bringing some kind of internet to most areas. Now, not the high-speed internet that, that most of us want to use today, but at least some kind of internet. And I'm I'm actually confident, Don, and North North Carolina's allocated money, uh, sums of money over time to expand the internet. I'm actually confident that I would say by 2030 we may very well see high-speed internet everywhere in North Carolina because of uh the new ways of providing that internet through what's called low orbiting satellites. This is what Musk is doing. Elon Musk did early on and when the Ukraine war started out. He made his system of internet provision, which is by satellites that are not 25,000 miles in the air, they're only 600 miles in the air, available to the Ukrainian people and the military especially, and that, that continues to go on. And so we do have the capability, I think increasingly in, in coming years, to utilize that methodology of getting high-speed internet pretty much anywhere. So you don't have to lay the cables, you don't have to lay the string the wires, you do it from satellites, but satellites that are just right up there, not, not far away. So I think that might be the way that we get to that universal high-speed internet. Mike, uh, a number of people joined this broadcast uh, after it began. In the first segment, we talked uh, about an overview of, of North Carolina's economic situation, especially in regard to a uh, uh, recession and also the inflation and also interest rates. So why don't we take the last set part of this uh, broadcast and sort of recap what you said earlier and uh, any other thoughts that you might have about what we can expect for the next six months? Well, the two big concerns are, as you said, Don, inflation and, and, and recession. And, and they're really tied together because the inflation rates that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years, well, wherever you, whether you look at the variety of measures, they're still well above the 2% that most people would like to see. Um, uh, in order to get those down, we, we have to slow the economy down. That's why interest rates are going up. That's what the Federal Reserve does when they want to try to slow the pace of economic growth. The question is whether they can slow that pace, uh, not to zero and not to negative, but just slow it down enough that we can bring the inflation rate down uh, without causing a recession, or will we have a bona fide recession? So that's up in the air. I think I think the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise interest rates. Uh, maybe not quite as fast as they did, but I think they're going to continue to raise interest rates. So if you're you're out there uh, borrowing money for whatever reason, expect those rates just to be higher. I think it'll be another another year before you see them go back. If we do get to the point where the economy slows down so much that it does go in reverse, that is a recession. I think it'll be a rather mild recession. Uh, just to give you one indicator, right now unemployment in North Carolina is around 3.7%. I think it could get as high as five, five and a half, maybe top 6%, which is relatively low for a recession. But that would still mean another roughly 70,000 people unemployed. So it's not good. 
Um, there is some hope that maybe the job loss could be minimal because of all the unfilled jobs. If businesses cut back those, maybe they don't have to lay off people who already have jobs in their company. But I think the, the next uh, six to nine months will tell the tale on that. Then I think uh, this time next year, Don, when hopefully we're talking, we'll be on the other side of this. We will have seen a situation where we have much lower inflation. If we had a recession, it'll be in the rearview mirror. And we can try finally to get back to some sense of normalcy, which is what people tell me all the time when I do talks. Dr. Walden, when are we just going to get back to some normal? Uh, when are we going to get past COVID, not worry about COVID as much? Now we've got to worry about inflation. Now we have to worry about a recession. When are we going to get back to normal? And that's what I tell them. I think my best my best uh, estimate would be about a year from now. So I think the next year, nine months especially, we're going to be challenging. And I think you said mortgage rates might go as high as 7% uh, during the next uh, year. Uh, I think I recall that comment earlier. Yes, uh, I think well, mortgage rates, yes. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your overview. As always, you make uh, the economy and economic situations understandable by even people like me. And uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate very much you taking time to be with us and explain things in such a kind and gentle way that we don't feel like we're a bunch of dummies. <laughs> if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com and all the broadcasts will be available and including those two segments that the half-hour stations that carry this program uh, miss. That is also available. The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week, or so he promises. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.